And I've really enjoyed bringing these parables to you and, and trying to unpack and understand as Christ taught. One of the things that I've avoided doing with these parables has been uh, diving deeply into the, the cultural contextual stuff as I, I normally would. Uh, the main reason for that is because I really wanted for us to really capture what these parables are about for our present day and our present context. So I've given you some, some language, yes, but I've avoided some of that, that um, cultural contextual stuff. But for this one, I really can't. I really can't do that. And in order for us to understand that, I want to begin by, by taking us back three years ago. Do you remember what it was like in the first couple of weeks of COVID? Scary, wasn't it? And in the churches, there was a real panic. We did not know what was going to happen. We did not know if we were going to continue. We were going to be able to continue to worship as we always did. Uh, and uh, as ministers, we were asking ourselves, God, what do you want us to do? Thank you, buddy. And so one of the big things that I wanted to, to share with you today was that there was a, a contextual cultural situation that was going on, which was unique to that very specific time, which isn't even around today. But we have the ongoing effect of that, don't we? All of us have learned about QR codes. We all know how those work. We know to hold up your phone and you see that funny, funny pattern on the, the screen or whatever, and you can go ahead and take that. We've all become accustomed with Zoom, and some of us are not that good with it, but that's okay. It's something that we now know. If somebody says, and I had a Zoom meeting this week, if somebody says, you know, can we have a Zoom meeting? You know what to do. And I wanted to share with you one story. I was part of a team serving five different churches at the time. And I had always had this kind of sense that, you know, church must happen where people are together. Are you with me? And we're there, we were praying, and in this prayer, we were scared. We were panicky, we were worried, we were concerned for our future, we were concerned for, for the people in our congregations, particularly the elderly, as we did not know what this thing, what this COVID thing was. We did not know what it was going to do to us. And we bowed our heads to pray. And I promise you, I'd never experienced this before, but I felt like I was in the same room with my brother and sister ministers in that moment. As we bowed our heads and I hear, heard their voices through the headphones, we were no longer separated by the kilometers and the miles and the distances. We were together. We were in that one space. Now, I've got to tell you, I've not experienced that since. I've not. And what I experienced in that moment, I want to tell you, is the presence of Christ. Translocating us from where we were so that we could be together. You see, in that moment, we needed Jesus. In our fear, in our desperation, in our pain, we needed the hope that only Christ can bring. And so he picked us up from where we were. Not literally. But in a very emotional and spiritual way, put us together in a new room, in a virtual space, but one where we could still meet 
with Christ. You see, friends, the story, that story is one that I can tell you and many of you are nodding away because you remember what it was like. You remember the pain, the fear, the desperation, and you can imagine how powerful that moment would have been. And it was. We actually sat there for a solid minute in silence. Imagine that, five ministers being quiet for, five, for, a, for a minute. <laughs> Must have been a miracle. But it was such a needed thing in that moment. Yet can I, you know, even travel back to five years ago and say that and share that? No, not really, because we don't have that context and we don't fully understand that. And that's a big part of what's happening here. So my prayer and hope is to be able to begin to unpack what is happening in this story because it is crucial to our discipleship. It is crucial to who we need to be as 21st century Christians. And I hope you'll go home with a confidence, with a knowledge and with an ability to look at this and then be able to go and share that more broadly as our brothers shared with us during our God moments today. You with me, church? Wonderful. Let us pray then. Lord, we pray that we will be ready to hear your word, to speak it and share it beyond our spaces, our space of comfort, wherever you call us in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Have you ever wondered why Matthew is the first of the books in the New Testament? It's not the first that was written. Technically, that was Mark. So it's not chronological. It's certainly not alphabetical. You see, the early church fathers were putting together this thing we call the canon of the books of the Bible. And they had a copy of Matthew, but it was in Hebrew. And so because it was in Hebrew, they figured this must have come first because it must have been written in the language of that particular day and time. And the, ones, the other ones were written in Greek, so they must have been written later for the broader church. Because the broader church spoke in Greek, but the church of Jerusalem spoke in Hebrew, well, Aramaic. But that was why. That's the reason why it's the first one. And so when we read in Matthew, we need to remember a couple of things. Matthew's audience was actually not you and I. It was Jewish Christians, Jewish believers. And why did he want to express with them? Because Jesus actually said that he came first for them. But they rejected him. They pushed him away. And so that opened up so that the gospel could be preached more broadly. And a lot of these passages are exactly about that. Think about what we just read. There was a group of people. Some of them were ready, expecting, hoping for the bridegroom. Standing and others had fallen asleep. Once upon a time, they were ready. But then when the groom was standing before them, no. And when they came afterwards and knocked on the door, what did he say? I don't know you. So this is the kind of audience that Matthew is speaking to. And it's very, very important that we understand this. Because we can miscomprehend and misappropriate this. Wouldn't it be sad if you felt that you were among that first group of virgins? And you felt that somehow Christ had come into your life and you knocked on the door and he said, no, I'm not going to have you. Now, none of us believe that. We all believe that Christ today at work and alive in our lives is there waiting for us. There's a beautiful painting at St. Paul's Cathedral in London of Jesus knocking at the door 
That is the door of the believer's heart. And what I love about that painting is that there's no door handle. Why is there no door handle? Because Jesus doesn't open the door. You and I do. (laughs) So we need to remember that. This is about a very specific context. And I want to unpack that for us and help us understand that. Because when we do, we'll be empowered to do more with it. Sorry, my clicker's playing up. There we go. To understand this, we need to begin in Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple and he's walking away when his disciples came to him. And they said to him, look at these beautiful buildings. Look at this wonderful heritage that we have. Solomon built these palisades, the portico. David's castle was just over there, his palace from which he reigned. Judah Maccabeus marched through these gates and came in and kicked out all the Greeks. And he says to them, do you see all these things? Do these things really matter? I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And then as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, they came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's a scary question, isn't it? The first thing I want to challenge us with in this is the goal of the disciples to say this. How dare they come to Jesus? Jesus had not yet died on the cross. Jesus had not yet fulfilled the ministry he was meant to fulfill, which was right there in their doorstep. And yet they were more concerned about what was going to happen with their pretty temple and with their lovely, comfortable lifestyle. Because this was the narrative that was going on at the time. All of the Jewish people were concerned about this eschatological, end of days time thinking. And they were forgetting about what God had put right in front of them. And we could say that about today as well. How many churches are more concerned with the building project? With getting to that next phase in their iteration? With focusing on things that are far flung in the future? And forgetting about the need that we have right here. Christ is a present God. He is with us now. And we should not be coming to him and asking him about these things that are far out when he's got something right there in front of us. This is the big story that Matthew is trying to tell. Now, who was Matthew? Do you remember? Can you tell me two words? Who was Matthew? He was a? Very good. You guys paid attention in Sunday school. Do you remember the flannelette graph with the table and him sitting there? And Jesus comes along and he says to him, follow me. I love the VeggieTales version of it because in the VeggieTales version, I think he was a pickle. Am I right? He was a pickle. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Matthew was a pickle. And, uh, and, and they have no arms in VeggieTales, right? But they have these kind of glove things. And you see the glove thing kind of swipe the table and all the money falls off the table. And I love it because there's a, like a mystery about what actually pushed the money off the table. 
And I remember preaching about it. I was a family pastor at the time down in South Australia. And I remember preaching about it to our family Bible study group. And I said to them, I said, you know, it's like that with us too. There is a mystery about how God wipes the table clean for us. Because that's what he did with Matthew. That unseen hand came and wiped his life. And from that point onwards, he would follow Jesus. So these questions and these things that were happening with the Jews at the time were not part of Matthew's journey, for he had already given up so much of himself from that acknowledgement of his sin and of his pain and of the rejection he himself had experienced. And if that's resonating with any of you right now, then God is speaking to you. Because God finds us in our rejection. God finds us in our pain. God finds us in those moments where that table is cluttered and full of stuff that's holding us back. And as my brother shared with you before, all you need to do is ask and make the choice and he will wipe it clean and clear. Jesus responds to the disciples, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. But only the Father. Therefore keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would keep watch. And he would not have left his house to be broken into. So you must also be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Readiness is what Matthew is trying to draw our attention to in these verses. Because that conversation that you might have with someone that you don't know, you haven't met, may happen at any moment. And you've got to be what? And that readiness doesn't come out of confidence, self-assurance, years of theological training. It comes from a heart that says, Lord, speak through me. God, prepare me so I can share your love. That's what our brothers share today. And I love the fact that that so connects with what we're experiencing here. Because the virgins who were waiting for Christ, they had, they, they're called virgins because that is the appropriate time for them to go to the, to the wedding feast in their journey of life. They were of age. But they were not what? Can you see how this theme is so important, so significant? This word ready is hetimos in the Greek translation that we have. I don't know what it would have been in the Aramaic. I wish I did. I would have given you that. In the Aramaic, there are four words, four different words. One word that describes readiness to move. One word that describes readiness as in standing to attention like a soldier. I actually prepared a whole message on that. And then I went, might be one of the other ones. <laughs> so I thought, I'm not going to preach on it. I'm not going to preach on it. Because I don't know. I don't know. Christ may have used any of those words or even a combination. Because the good Christian is ready to go. Is at attention like a soldier is ready like when the food is cooked 
and ready to eat. My wife always says, il cibo non aspetta la gentile, la gentile aspetta il cibo. Food doesn't wait for people, people wait for the food. <laughs> This means when the food is ready, you better eat. And when Kevin's cooking, you'll know that it'll be worth it. <laughs> These words are so important and so wonderful to understand. It may have been a combination, it may have been all of them, it may have been just one. I don't know, but I do know what we have in our Greek translations, which is the one that has survived the test of time. So in Matthew 22:4, the parable of the king's dinner, tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner and everything is what? Come to the wedding banquet. I think that that's the food is ready. What word, don't you? What was Jesus' first sermon? Be prepared. For the kingdom of, of God is at hand. It's almost ready. So this is that same connotation, that same idea. When the kingdom is ready, guys, we got to go in there because we're going to enjoy a wonderful feast. We're going to party. We're going to be there. We're going to revel and enjoy in the reality and the righteousness of our God. What's the next one? Matthew 24, 44. So you must be what? Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Fellas, were you expecting God to open that very moment for you to share your faith? No. He came at a moment where you were not expecting. And this is one of the wonderful things about our faith today. It catches us unawares. For that reason, we must be what? Amen. Let's go. Matthew 25, 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived and the virgins who were what? They went with him. Does it say and the virgins who were not ready? No, it says the ones who were lazy. <laughs> See, it's not about lack of preparedness. It's about this. It's about the heart. It's about the heart at work. You want to talk about preparedness, friends? I've been studying scripture for the most majority of my adult life. I've studied it in different languages, in different contexts, in mission, in history, church history, theology, uh, exegesis, hermeneutics. I did so much of this study. At one point, my university actually said, Esteban, we don't have any more subjects to offer you. I'm sorry, please go somewhere else. It was actually kind of hard, but yes, you are welcome to laugh. But it's true, it's true. I loved it. I, I gobbled it up and I drank it all. Do you think that I feel ready? No, but I am. I am ready because the moment that God comes and speaks to us, I may be dribbling and talking like a fool or like a little baby, but it doesn't matter because if my heart is in the right place, I know that God will speak and the message will be ready to be relieved, received. So what do we see In the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew is basically broken up into these three sections. Firstly, we have the, the developing who Christ is, the prologue that includes the genealogy, the law and understanding his discipleship. He gets his disciples and he begins to tell them what? Parables. He begins to teach them with parables. So that's a big part of that section. Then the next section, and I've colored it in purple here because... 
It's all about the kingdom. It's all about Jesus pointing to this kingdom and saying to people, yes, it is about me, but you've got to look there. Don't look at me. Don't look at where I am. You've got to look there because they needed to be ready. And it concludes with this readiness for the final days. You see, he knew that he still needed to go to the cross. And that without the cross, they would not understand any of this. Matthew does this intentionally because he wants us to comprehend the meaning of the cross before Christ goes there. For this reason, we often sing songs in worship that are all preparing us for the theme and for the topic of what we're going to be talking about. And it's only halfway through the service or towards the end of the service that you actually go, oh, that's why we sang that song. It's all about preparing our hearts and receiving and understanding. And then finally, we get to the red bit, the crucifixion, the resurrection and the commission. There is an economy of words here, an economy of verses, if you will. You can see that in the first two sections, Matthew is establishing the story. And everywhere he is peppering in that, for lack of a better term, crux of what that story is meant to be and mean. Then he spends only a couple of chapters, very brief chapters. You know, we have 53 verses in Matthew 13. Jesus is telling stories. He's telling parables. He's spending time with those he loves and he's talking with them and telling them why. Because once the cross happens, all of those stories will suddenly make sense. Because they would be, what's our word again? Are you getting it, church? Let us not be like those virgins who were not ready. Let us not be like them who were lazy and who thought, you know what? Christ is far, far away. And it's not going to matter. Let us instead have our hearts ready to be challenged and to step forward into the promise He has for us now. Whenever I'm talking about eschatology, when I'm talking about the second coming of Christ, yes, I look forward to the second coming. Of course I do. But you know what I love? I love experiencing Christ today, right now, with you, with what He's doing in your lives, with what He's doing in the kingdom broadly, because Christ Himself said, where two are there, gathered together, there I am also. And that's what I want to wait for. So we see it in this kind of breakdown. Matthew tells us Christ is at work in our lives. We accept Christ as Lord. This becomes a reality of something that is foreshadowed. Are we in heaven yet? No. But we want to be. That doesn't mean that we want to die. What it means is that we want to live heaven here and now. And receiving the blessing and assurance of our salvation is that third part of his story. Because for Matthew, everybody who called on the name of the Lord would be saved. 
And so it didn't matter if they were Jewish, if they were Gentile, if they were a sinner, or if they were living a good life under the law of Moses. They needed to receive that assurance of salvation. One of our dear members was sharing with me the other day that she was at a funeral recently. And loving Christian people who had been in churches all their lives came along and said to her, oh, hopefully we'll see her in heaven. And she said, what do you mean hopefully? We have the assurance of salvation. She said, yes, yes, I'm sure the person who was being for, for whose funeral they were at would go to heaven because she was a great person. She loved Jesus, but I don't know about me. And my friend, our member, she cried. She said, how could you not realize that you, you have that assurance too. It's not prideful to say that I am a child of God and I have a place in heaven with him. That is part of Christ's command for us even now. So if you want to be part of that lot, part of those virgins who are ready with their oil, you need to know that. That oil is for you too. And as we share that with others, we don't do it thinking this is for you and hopefully it will work out and maybe it won't, but that's all right, here we go and it's a gamble. No, no one rolls the dice with Jesus. We have assurance of salvation. We have assurance in the knowledge. We have assurance in the blood. Amen. And then they were on their way to buy oil. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. The door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. For they weren't ready in that moment. You know, even Satan and the demons know Jesus as Messiah. But they don't love him. And they don't have his love. Instead, they hate him. And everything he represents. Because they selfishly want not what he's got. But what we have. That assurance. That acceptance, that childhood, that inheritance, that adoption that we can only have when our hearts are ready to receive Christ as our Lord. Thank you, Kimmy. I want to conclude with this and Lord knows I could talk for another 10-15 minutes about this topic. I will tell you about how virgin, that word in Matthew, is actually meant to be interpreted. How they were at a stage of life where they were ready. And I would encourage you to understand that you need to be at a stage of life where you are ready. Whether you're three years old, 30 years old, or 73 years old. I will tell you about the door that closed. And about the Lord that heard the knocking on the door and his heart broke because in the moment where the door was open, they were not there. And how he could not open that door again. I will tell you about the wedding feast of the Lamb in the book of Revelations. And how in Judaism, even to this day at Passover, they read about Esther coming to the king 
and being accepted with her enemies standing there wanting to kill her family and her lineage. And yet during Passover, the Jewish people today, they think of themselves like Esther going forwards without realizing that work was done in the cross. And we, we now have a responsibility to carry out that work in our lives even today. I wanted to avoid the Apostle Paul's words for this sermon and to finish off this series. Because he speaks words that we understand, doesn't he? You read Galatians, Romans, Ephesians. There are words there that are really easy for us to understand, that are very encouraging. We are more than conquerors. For we have died and conquered death with him who has gone before us. You can understand that. You get it. But Peter's words here are for the church in Jerusalem. For his cousins, for his literal cousins, family members. He's breaking his heart trying to get them to understand that promise of eternity. And invite them into that space of hope. He says to them, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against all those who do evil. Here he's quoting King David in Psalm 34. And then the charge. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be what? Ready to give a defense. Ready to give a testimony. Ready to open your hearts and share before everyone who asks. Who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. This is what it means to be a disciple, friends. It's not just coming to church on a Sunday morning, singing some songs and then going back to a normal life. But knowing that we go out into this world with a challenge. So my prayer for you is that you would be ready. Ready with open hearts. To share that love that Christ has taken. That Christ has poured down upon you. Let us finish in prayer. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit this moment. And I thank you that we can share your love. Continue to speak to us and through us, I pray. And help us be ready to open up the hearts, the doors. To fill the oil lamps of those who need it. So that in that moment where Christ, you appear in our lives and in theirs, we are ready to go in with you. Continue to pour out your love, love over us, I pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, I invite you to stand as you are able.